about barriers to embodiment and how our collective body stories can bring us back to ourselves. I'm Asher Panjuris and I appreciate you joining me today as always. Um, I really appreciate that people are rating this podcast on Apple Podcasts. I have a goal to reach as many people as I can with these interviews. So if you can take a moment and give this podcast a five-star review before listening any further, I would love it. So onto the announcements. This is definitely a month of upcoming workshops that are all about diving deep in the realm of what healing means both from the perspective of working as a queer healing practitioner and also as a person doing their own healing work. Um, In both of the workshops that I'm offering, we will interrogate what health means and what nourishment is and can be, and a lot more. On October 28th from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, I will be hosting a virtual workshop for queer healing practitioners. In this workshop, you will come to the group with some stuck points, whether it be stuck points in the realm of burnout, struggles to maintain sustainable coping and containment tools, a need for mutual recognition and balance, or seeking ideas to redirect or enliven your career. This workshop is open to therapists, sex workers, yoga, Pilates, personal trainers, medical professionals, doulas, astrologers, body workers, Reiki practitioners, I guess that's body workers, uh, coaches, herbalists, breathwork facilitators, teachers, uh, join in. Um, We think as practitioners, sometimes we get really siloed into our little worlds and um, especially our Instagram personal business areas. I don't know if anyone can relate to that and kind of lose touch with the need to really have peer support around how complex, um, you know, quote-unquote healing work is and what it means to be a practitioner with integrity and with a body and with a story and with a life. Um, All of that we will discuss and explore uh, and open up. So I hope you join me. Uh, Another workshop that I'm offering, uh, it's uh, going to be held on November 10th from 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and I'll be co-hosting part one of a two-part virtual workshop. You can do both parts. You can do one part. The first part is happening on uh, November 10th. And I'm co-hosting it with Marielle Berg, who is a psychotherapist and podcaster. She's trained in the health at every size modality. She's the host of the Skillful Podcast and It's Just a Cookie. Both of those are definitely worth listening to, those podcasts. Um, She's 
a queer, white, cisgendered therapist, as I said, in recovery from an eating disorder. She is the founder and director of the Bay Area DBT and Couples Counseling Center in San Francisco. She also supports people worldwide in healing disordered eating and body hatred through online coaching. So the workshop is called Healthism and Nutritionism Are Not Helping With Your Healing. It's open to all people, including those in the health and healing professions, as well as those like us who have been impacted by healthism and nutritionism in our own relationships to our bodies. And Marielle and I will talk a bit more openly about that, um, that impact in the workshop. We'll define what healthism and nutritionism are and how those concepts interfere with true healing. You'll have the option to meet again for another virtual workshop in early 2020 with Ilya Parker of Decolonizing Fitness and a past podcast interviewee. If you haven't listened to the episode with Ilya, please go back and listen to it and find out everything about what Ilya does. I support it all. Um, and in 2020, we'll, early 2020, which I can't believe it's almost that time we'll delve a little bit deeper into this topic around healthism and nutritionism. But in essence, both workshops are pertinent for people who can relate to some of these questions. Do you find yourself choosing foods based on whether they're good, bad, or clean? Do you inhabit a disabled, fat, or chronically ill body that is judged for being bad, weak, or lacking in discipline? Do you work with people in your professional life who negatively judge others who aren't healthy or themselves? Do you intellectually disagree that health is not entirely in your own hands, but find yourself making decisions in your life that are driven by an imperative to constantly improve your health? There are openings for both workshops and you can register on my website, um, which is livinginthisqueerbody.com or through the link in my Instagram bio at livinginthisqueerbody. Also, just to note, these workshops are going to be available to the live participants and also to people who register. Um, they can have, if you can't show up for the live event, you can um, ha have access to a recorded uh, copy of the, the two-hour workshop. So these workshops, both of them, are all extremely relevant to our podcast guest today, the lovely and skillful Frankie Baker. Frankie is an acupuncturist and herbalist with a focus on trans-affirming health practicing out of Brooklyn. They offer a sliding scale for people of color, trans people, and sex workers. You can find out more about their practice at yarrow underscore medicine on Instagram. That's Y-A-R-R-O-W underscore medicine on Instagram. I hope you enjoy our conversation and find ways to support this podcast and the very important work that Frankie is doing in the world. So, Frankie, um, it's really glad. I'm it's really glad. I'm really glad to have you this morning. 
um, and to talk to you. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. So I guess I'd like to start with um, a question and, and it's something you and I have kind of talked a little bit about prior to the interview um, as like a sort of challenging question to answer. And I myself have actually been trying to answer it um, because for myself, because that only seems fair in some ways, if I'm going to be asking this question to people and I've, I've I, being on the receiving end of it, I'm like, Oh, this is a really confronting question, but we'll give it a try. And, um, so, you know, I guess I'm curious about your early experiences of what you learned about having or being in a body. Yeah. Um, well, I think, you know, if, if I'm being honest, there's trauma that's, uh, involved in that. So I, I may be a little more vague in answering, but, um, I know one thing that I think had a pretty big impact on me as a kid is, um, just being exposed to pornography at an early age. And that sends so many confusing messages to, or sent me confusing messages about, gender and like, you know, I think beauty standards. And then, you know, of course, measuring myself up to that and feeling like I can't compare. Um, so that definitely was something that influenced my childhood. Mm -hmm. Um, and maybe just, you know, feelings of like confusion around how sexualized bodies should be or like how, I don't know, like, there was sort of like a, I think this like learning about sex and bodies in a way that wasn't actually um, true or real. It was like a fantasy, you know, and then I kind of, you know, you equate it more with like violence or I don't know, just like very convoluted <laughs> associations. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think that's, it makes a lot of sense, especially when it, not even especially, but in particular at an early age, just like that experience of not really understanding that we're even in bodies, you know, <laughs> like to yeah. begin with, and then coming into a realization of being in a body, I'm sure it's like a lot to unravel and, you know, we'll talk about it more, but you know, it's a lot, it's been a lot for you to unravel throughout your life. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely been a lot of unlearning that I still have to do. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah, totally. Yeah. How did you, how did that kind of like shaming or I don't know, bullying maybe hopefully not, but how did that, play out in terms of how you continued, you know, throughout your teenage years and into early adulthood around gender and. Oh God. Uh, well, sorry, I kind of cut you off, but I'm like, ah. so I remember distinctly like being, I, because I kind of like started puberty late. I had a, I had a short haircut. I was like obsessed with Sailor Moon and I like wanted to be Sailor Uranus which is like so funny because like I had no concept of like transness at that point but like of course I gravitated towards that character and but I remember in middle school like kids would push me into the boys bathroom and like they were really mean about 
me not presenting in like a more feminine mm. type of way. And I, and also like, you know, like messages from media growing up, like, you know, I, I always kind of felt like I couldn't live up to this like standard of like high femme beauty. Mm-hmm. And I think for a long time, because I was told that that was wrong or shameful or like, you know, like almost like disgusting, I guess, in some ways. Um, I definitely like tried really hard as like a young, after middle school, high school, mm-hmm. you know, like, I really want to achieve this like beauty standard. Um, and I don't know, it's just been like pretty recently where I've been like, you know what, I don't really want to like do that. I can like embody a lot of different like sides of myself and like if I want to be really femme I can do that but also like embrace Hmm. I definitely remember that coming up as a kid though like being kind of told that like the way that I was presenting was um like aberrant and weird it sounds like you had you had like these role models in the form of you know like you know Sailor Moon or whatever but did you have did you grow up in a place that where you had people around you who you were like attracted to or thought you, you know, you wanted to be like, or, you know, did you have access to that? Um, not really. I remember I grew up in, uh, Greensboro, North Carolina. Sorry, that's the train going by, but, um, yeah, I grew up in North Carolina and I like, I didn't really feel like there was like a lot of like queer people in my school. I remember having like some crushes on like friends, but then like kind of just like not allowing myself to ever really go there. Mm -hmm. And I also remember having crushes on like boys. So I was like, okay, well like I'll redirect myself. Mm -hmm. in that way you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so yeah I think it was only like it it really wasn't until like my adulthood that I was like oh this is actually something that I want to explore more Mm -hmm. and how how did you get there like what did you have to do in order to explore that more yeah I think it was just about meeting more like weird weird people and being like, Oh yeah. I mean, I was all, I, you know, it's so funny. Cause like, I feel like I was attracted to queer community. Like I started going to Ida in 2011 and, you know, at that time I was like, well, I'm not, I'm not queer. I just like want to go to Ida, you know, I was like, I'm just like here is like, you know, but then it's like, it's so funny. Cause you're like, why would I be attracted to that space if I like wasn't, queer you know <laughs> just like the the ways that you kind of like go or skirt around the issue mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um but yeah I think like mm. I was living in Asheville at the time and I think like there were more just like visibly queer and trans people in Asheville mm-hmm. and then that kind of like helped me to be more exposed to community mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah and during that time the time of like I don't know, finding yourself at Ida or like, you know, beginning to explore 
queer community or connection to queer community. What was, what was going on for you in terms of how you were feeling about your body and your kind of sense of self? Um, Well, I mean, my relationship with my body, I don't know. It's always been really, I mean, you know, I'm sure for everyone, it's like (laughs) very complicated, but I've definitely struggled with like disordered eating and which I also think like has a lot to do with gender actually. Can you say a little bit more about that? Like what your thoughts are about how it, how it connects? Cause I mean, I completely agree, but um, for many people, but I feel like we don't, maybe we as a community don't talk about that enough. Yeah. I mean, I think it, I've only recently been starting to kind of connect those dots. Mm-hmm. But I have a lot of friends who are like, trans masculine presenting and we've I've talked to them where you know we're like yeah we have these eating disorders and I think it's because like it's hard for me to accept like you know like a more like feminine fat distribution or like it's hard for me to accept these like more curves or whatever you know and not to like you know I'm hesitant in saying that because I don't want it to sound like fat phobic or anything but I just like I think that it does get like really wrapped up in this like gender presentation. Mm-hmm. Um, and like a lot, I, I recently started like a low dose of testosterone. And I think that that's actually been helping like a lot with body image stuff. And I've had a lot of, um, a lot of my friends here also on tea. They're like, yeah, it really helped my eating disorder, you know? Mm-hmm. So it definitely seems to be tied in. Yeah. Uh, Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Feeling like you have some, I mean, I think so many people I work with and as a, as a therapist and in community and personal friends too, it's, there's something about, and I think especially if you grew up or you like weren't exposed to, or haven't met, met enough queer community yet that will help you navigate this kind of like just broadly dysphoric experience you know like if if you don't have any of that then there are lots of things that we or one can do to sort of take things into your own hands you know and it it is I think very on some level very effective you know certain forms of disordered eating can um really help give one a sense of control around something that feels very like pretty much inevitably not within our control ultimately, but you know, it's like really difficult. And so I think, I don't know, just validating that, that that's such a common experience. It's not talked about that much. I'm glad to hear you talk about it. And also it's, yeah, it's just so prevalent. Um, and I imagine you also see that with some of the people that you work with in your practice, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, just like really struggling to, or really like trying to find methods to address just profound discomfort in one's body. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, kind of like piggybacking on that idea Um, or that theme is uh, another thing I've seen and I also relate to is um, tattoos, I feel like are very like, you know, not, it's like not an overtly like gendered thing, but I feel like I've seen a lot of folks who 
yeah, they're like trying to control how their bodies are perceived by like using tattoos to kind of like mark them in a way where it's like, I'm rejecting this like idea of like, you know, femininity or like what like that looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've like talked with a bunch of my clients who are like non-binary who say that like, that's something that really helps them to feel more in control, you know? Mm-hmm. And like, um, I don't know, seeing, mm-hmm. and I definitely relate to that as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. When you, when you were struggling more, I guess, with disordered eating and not having a kind of sense of I guess, control over how people were relating to you. How is that affecting, I don't know, like your relationships or the kind of community that you were, was, you know, were you like super isolated or have you been isolated around it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. There was a long time where I wouldn't, I wasn't ready to admit that that was an issue. And I just mm. kind of, it was, it's actually kind of interesting because on some level, I think that the disordered eating was a, a part of the reason why I was interested in acupuncture and like alternative medicine. Cause I got on this like really intense health kick where I was like, okay, I want to like, almost to like, I mean, it was definitely like to the orthorexia. Yeah. Right. So, you know, it's, it's kind of funny cause it did lead me to study acupuncture. Um, while I was in school though, they were like, yeah, you know, like the, the eating habits I had, they were like, yeah, those aren't actually like, we don't promote those. <laughs> so it was kind of cool for me to like, mm. I was doing this thing. Yeah. You know, I just got like, really like went down this rabbit hole of like health and fasting and like raw foods and like, I don't know, all this woo stuff that I think is actually really dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, did take me going to school and studying more about it to kind of like snap myself out of that, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, or just realize that like, and be more willing to admit that that wasn't like actually healthy. You know, I was doing it under the guise of health. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was very, it was definitely isolating because I really structured my whole day around you know, eating, I can't, you know, it's hard when you can't share meals with people because you have such limited or like such rigid dietary restrictions. Um, and you can't talk to people about it. And I think on some level people can sense that there's something going on because they see, they see you doing that, you know, and, Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, and I also like would I mean, and I still do this, but like I exercise a lot and that's like something that it's kind of like this thing where I'm like, okay, like I know that I can do this compulsively, but it also helps these anxiety. So, you know, I don't know. It feels like it's both of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think it used to be a lot worse where like, I, I just would like really structure my day around around the eating disorder and like mm-hmm. friends and lovers and whatever came second mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and now that I'm like more able to admit to it and talk about it when I am having like anxious thoughts about eating or like needing to exercise I'm able to just like express that and be like this is like this thing you know mm-hmm. and I think that that's a lot more healthy 
mm-hmm. uh, than like trying to isolate myself and keep it a secret. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm just thinking I'm like, in some ways I'm really glad, not that, you know, Chinese medicine is, it's not like it's a perfect system, but you know, I, it's really, I, in some ways I'm glad that you, in your deep, you know, dive into quote unquote health, um, you found Chinese medicine and not something else. Like there are lots of, <laughs> like there's so many other things that you could have really taken a deep dive with. Um, and, um, I wonder like, you know, this, this is kind of like a personal professional question, but, you know, as, you know, as an acupuncturist, do you, how do you feel when, um, people much like yourself are coming in to work with you who are like doing the fasting thing or doing the, you know, whatever they're the kind of, you know, I don't want to just talk about fasting, but, you know, just doing yeah. whatever the, the sort of popular, um, somewhat orthorexic, you know, restrictive diets are, um, how do you navigate that? Well, usually I just try to be really, I don't like to push people very hard because I think that that's like a surefire way of making people feel alienated. And like, you know, I think that you have to build up I don't know you have to build trust so basically like when someone comes to me and they're talking about like a certain diet or something that they're doing that I don't necessarily agree with I won't really mention that but I will give them information that I received which is like you know if your digestive system is working correctly your body should be able to handle whatever you throw at it and you know, I might offer that as some information if, if we're working with like a blood deficiency, which could be kind of translated as like iron deficiency or B12 deficiency. I'll just kind of let them know I'm like the best way to build blood is like by eating meat. But if you don't want to do that, then here are some other, you know, other Mm -hmm. sources of that. So I just kind of give them information without trying to pass a lot of judgment on it. Mm -hmm. Um, but also to kind of let them know, like, Hey, this system is not like, it's not about eating, you know, completely pure, or it's not about being totally vegan. Like you can, you know, there's like, you can tailor it to fit your needs and it's not as rigid as one might think. Mm -hmm. Um, And I do sometimes think that people come in and, you know, they're like, it was just, I mean, I also did this, Uh, you know, they're kind of like proud to tell me that their diet is restricted in a certain way. And, and that's when I tend to offer up the information like, well, actually, you know, like Chinese medicine, like eating meat is okay, you know, Mm -hmm. but, Mm -hmm. but I just, I don't like to push, you know, I really try to like, I try to offer the information and then not, not really say much more. Mm -hmm. Why do you think, yeah. I mean, why do you think I think you offer something very particular probably for, I mean, I guess everyone does, but you offer something very particular to the the clients that you work with in terms of like a kind of permission. I know you work with a lot of like queer, trans, non-binary um, people. And what do you think, like, what's, what do you think you're doing or providing for them that they're looking for? You know what I mean? Like what, what, but typically like people who come to find you or who do find you. Um, well, actually, so it's funny. Cause I, I feel like I'm just trying to provide an environment that feels less clinical. 
actually, um, which I think is kind of funny because you know, in school we were like taught, like you have to be like really professional and like, we're trying to be seen as like super legit in this field. And, and I, I you know, I kind of been like breaking the rules in that way. Cause I'm like, no, it's like in my house. And like, I don't know, like it's pretty intimate, even though it is community acupuncture. I only work with two tables at a time. So like, yeah, it's a more intimate environment. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think I like, know. I don't have like, I don't know everything in terms of cultural competency, but I try to like be aware of those things. And yeah, I'm just like trying to make things seem a lot less scary and like clinical because I know that those environments are for, seems like a lot of queer folks, you know, um, that's actually really intimidating. Mm-hmm. Um, ironically, it's so funny cause I, I just started, I just got a Yelp page And so I've been getting more like, you know, like people from Yelp who don't necessarily identify as queer or like I had a couple come in at one point and like I could tell that they were actually disturbed by the fact that it was in my home Mm -hmm. and that it wasn't clinical because they Mm -hmm. were expecting that. So Mm -hmm. I just I was like, oh, that's so funny because like what appeals to some is like a a turn off for others. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just about like where people feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um. And also, like, I think it speaks to kind of, like, how certain people, like, clinical environments are set up to cater towards certain folks rather than others. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like you had to go through this very formal training that you... I guess I can, I can also relate to this in the sense that, you know, going through a very, a formal training where, where a lot of, um, we're taught a lot about boundaries and, you know, the way boundaries should look and thinking about the way that you work, you are still holding a tremendous amount of, you know, like safety and boundaries within a kind of just, it sounds like just an environment that feels, more accessible to people who don't typically find clinical environments accessible. Probably you don't either. You know what I mean? Um, I would imagine you kind of, I don't know if you feel like this, but it sounds like in some ways you've created the environment that you would want to be treated in. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. yeah. Mm. Yeah. Which speaking of that, how do you, how do you get cared for? Like how (laughs) do you, (laughs) Um, that's a really difficult question. I, well, I've been trying, I go to acupuncture occasionally. I wish I went more, um, because honestly I've had a hard time finding, you know how, when you like practice something, you're like, very like, you know, what's going on and you're like, oh, you're doing that thing. Like, that's how I feel when I go to get, so it kind of sucks because I can't like take myself out of the process. And I wish that I, I wish that I could go back to a time when like, I could, but yeah, I mean, I guess in New York, I get, I honestly get a lot of massages. That's like something that feels really good for me. And just recently, like I said, I started going to Aperture, um, which was like, that was a huge step for me because I hadn't been to like a doctor, like a Western doctor, aside from getting like a physical examination at Planned Parenthood, you know, every year I like really avoided doctors and and pharmaceutical medications. And like, it was a big leap for me to be like, okay, I'm going to do this. 
And thus far, I've felt really good about Aperture as a clinic. And like, I, I feel really lucky to live in New York City where there is more access to like trans health care. And, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like covered by my insurance. I don't know. It's like pretty cool. Um, mm-hmm. And I've, I've been talking to other people, you know, who are asking me about like tea and they're like, oh, I can't even get androgel because I'm using the the tea gel and they're like I don't even think that they offer that as a an option where I live and like they had to go through this whole like procedure of like getting a psychiatrist or sorry a psychologist to like write a note and you know I just like I just went in there and they're like yeah you want tea and I was like yeah sure you know like it was very like I didn't even know I was going to do that that day but then Mm -hmm. I had like an idea and then I was like yeah okay let's let's go for it but I don't know so yeah you have this huge smile on your face and and in some ways I'm like thinking you know that 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 is such a good marker of like helpful attuned care is to be able to like open up possibilities for someone that they they kind of like because of conditioning because of the world we live in like haven't allowed themselves to imagine this as possible like you weren't kind of in a mindset where you were kind of like in a more constricted mindset you're like maybe or you know you hadn't really thought that this could be something for you or for something yeah. for you right then you know well all my friends have teased me they're like you're gonna start tea when you get up and I was like I don't know I just really want like well butrid like we'll see and right. then when it it's was just like Ida, right? It's just like, yeah, yeah. Oh, I just found <laughs> myself here. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why I chose the trans clinic, but you know, <laughs> for the antidepressants, like. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. But no, I feel really like lucky to have that as a resource. Yeah. So, yeah. Have you lived in New York for a long time or? Um, I moved in November, 2016. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Okay. Yes. It doesn't feel like I've lived here very long, but Mm -hmm. time is, wait, I don't know. I feel like time is sped up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You're like invested in this as a place that you appreciate. Yeah, I I think so. I definitely go back and forth, Mm -hmm. but the more that I'm here, the more I'm like, yeah, I really, I don't think I could find the things that, you know, I... New York has a lot to offer. And, uh, you know, I think once you live here for a little while, it's really hard to go back or to go. And by back, I mean, go somewhere else where there's just like less community and like whatever thing that you want to get involved in. Yeah. Yeah. What are, do you, what are some of the things that are like pretty inspiring for you about and I'm not trying to paint a picture of New York as like this you know magical place in any way but just you know curious about what what aspects of your like queer life you know and your needs are met here that might not be somewhere else you know yeah well I really feel like I can let my freak flag fly in New York in a way that I definitely can't other places mm-hmm. um and it's it's really interesting because I do go back to North Carolina to visit and like each time I feel like I'm getting more and more of a reaction you know mm-hmm. to like my physical appearance and you know I I identify as like kind of like Bushwick neutral 
Um, cause I certainly am like, not like even near, like as, you know, how do I say it? Like freak freakish is like a lot of people, but, um, but yeah, when I go back down South, it's like, I'm like the weirdest mm. thing around. Um, so, you know, it's not, and I really like, you know, I, I think like the way that I dress and the way that I present is really important and being able to do that here has felt really liberating. There's a lot of trans people here. There's a lot of like queer people here. And I don't feel, again, I don't feel like I'm like the one solitary freak in a town, you know, Mm -hmm. or like one of like three, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's been really important to me. Unrelated to like queer identity. I also, have been I've started writing within the past since I've moved to New York and like there's definitely more community around that here Mm -hmm. and just pretty much like any interest that you have you're going to be able to find community around it in New York Mm -hmm. so that's really inspiring I think you know I asked that just because I think there's so many ways that we can we meaning I or whatever we all can complain about life in New York and um but I do think there's something to this idea of, you know, like identifying kind of what, what is actually supporting ourselves, our bodies in being in a place and the specificity of one's experience, like the specificity of, um, your like personal aesthetic or your personal, like whatever it is about you. I think that's kind of what you mean by, you know, like letting your freak flag by, you know, it, I think there's so much, and I don't know if this is what your experience is. I grew up in Missouri. And so like when I've gone back, it's, it's almost as if, and I'm, this is not to say that there aren't like really cool, interesting queer people in Missouri, but you know, the, that there's a way that like identity becomes kind of um, flattened out and consolidated because there just aren't very many, there aren't as many options and you can't yeah. like develop these like very particular aspects of yourself. And oh. I think in some ways I've seen just in um, kind of like, you know, getting to to know you and seeing the way you work that even within your like professional life, there's, there's so much like attention to aesthetics and some of the things that you are, that are really interesting to you, um, that, that are so specific in a way, you know, um, that I don't know if that resonates for you. Definitely. And I feel like I was told a lot, you know, growing up or even in school that those things were that they couldn't come together I guess Mm -hmm. like I had to like kind of forego my sense of aesthetics to appeal to like a greater audience um or that my sense of aesthetics was like threatening to people in a healing profession but Mm -hmm. and also like it really kind of like discredits your one's aesthetics as being really integral to one's identity. And I, I find that like, especially for queer people that that's very true. And so it's really, I don't know. I, I, I'm really, I'm lucky that I get to live in New York cause I don't feel like I have to subdue it as much as I have had to do in, you know, the South or like living somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and just being really unabashed with like, Hey, this is like important to me and my identity, how I present is like very important. And it's not just like, I feel like a lot of people want to dismiss it as just like vanity, you know, but I, I think that it's more than that. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. So I am really, yeah, I feel really lucky that mm. I get to live somewhere where I can explore that more and it's okay. Yeah. I think you're, um, I think one of the reasons I'm so kind of drawn to you is because I, I also work in like the kind of broadly healing world and the clin like a clinical healing world where the idea of a kind of quote unquote aesthetics is also really sort of streamlined and limiting, right? You know, like yeah. this, like, um, there's a lot of like aiming for neutral or, you know, like whatever. And, um, I think that there's something really lovely about the way you, um, and this is mostly based on kind of how you have curated your, you know, your Instagram, um, which is, I think the main way you like sort of do your business, but you know, the way you curate that it's like, it's very, um, it's not neutral. It's not like clinically neutral. It's very much like you're showing with consent, obviously, but you're showing like bodies and healing practices that are in some ways, they're very, um, they're like very provocative and really like, yeah, I don't know. Maybe you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I feel like I, (laughs) I feel like I've broken a lot of rules with Mm. Um, the way that I, yeah, showcase my work, but it's been important for me because I think, I think it's important to show different types of bodies and like, not just have it be this like homogenous, I don't know, like stereotypically like white woman, you know, cis woman, like I don't know, Gwyneth Paltrow type, which I feel like is the type that generally gets attracted to acupuncture at this point, you know, and I'm like, I like really resist that and like, I'm very critical of it. Um, so I don't know. I think that my Instagram is like in part me just like trying to push against that. Um, Mm -hmm. and you know, I get, like I'm technically not really even supposed to show people's faces, but I get them to, you know, what I've done to like make that okay is to like, I always get people to sign off and say that they're okay with being photographed. That's kind of like my way around that. So I never, you know, I always want to make sure that people are on board and generally speaking, people are really happy to be photographed and like feel good, you know? Mm -hmm. So, but yeah, I've definitely had some people be critical of the way that I Mm -hmm present myself and I you know have had to just kind of like really trust that the way that I'm doing things like feels good for me yeah it feels good for you and also the people that are going to really stick with you and get something out of what you're offering are going to you know that's I mean as a clinician I also feel that way it's like we can only like really truly be helpful I think to the people who are who we kind of who we connect with in some way or who connect with our way of being and I think that there's something about you know the way that you there's a kind of resistant resistance or kind of um, provocation in the way that you are 
the way you're showcasing your work feels to me like you're saying, if you are a Gwyneth Paltrow type and you want to come get acupuncture, like this is what it's actually going to look like. And, you know, there's bloodletting or there's, you know, there's, there's a kind of like eroticness. And I certainly don't mean to say that like, it's, you know, erotic meaning exactly what I'm saying, not like sexual necessarily, but just there's an erotic nature to, to healing, like the body, you know, to interacting with the body and to being careful with it and caring for it. And you, I, I, I personally, I mean, I really appreciate the the way that you are kind of giving us a glimpse of that, in, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, thank you. I mean, I think it's about intimacy, too. Yeah. You know? Like, and, yeah, something that I think about, too, because I do feel like, you know, the photos have this, like, some of them can have this, like, erotic feel to them, but I'm also kind of pushing against the ideas that bodies are inherently like erotic just by being like exposed more because it's like why is that oh well that's because of the way that like society set up and like we like have to censor ourselves so I don't know I'm just kind of like that's an idea that I toy with a lot Mm -hmm. why is this erotic you know like really it's just someone's tummy or like you know and um but yeah I mean it definitely like there, you know, I'm kind of playing with those, those ideas. So. Yeah. 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 And I think that that's that kind of intimacy. I like what you're saying about, about challenging, like just that an exposed body, like some version of an exposed body is, is necessarily like sexual, you yeah. know, but also I like what you're saying about just kind of the, the intimacy of a quote unquote healing or whatever encounter the vulnerability in someone presenting themselves to you and how you, I don't know, in some ways it seems like you are really aware of those dynamics. You know, you're very aware of the, the kind of vulnerability with which someone comes to you. And so you're kind of exposing those dynamics in a way, right? Mm -hmm. Like that I'm like, this is what's actually happening and it's not bad. It's like, this is, it's sort of, you know, I mean, it's in a way like it references to me, like the more explicitness of kink and, and Mm -hmm. those ideas, um, or being explicit about what's about to happen or what is happening. Um, totally. Yeah. So I guess, you know, honestly, this is about, we're almost out of time. And I guess the, the last sort of question I have for you, and then I'd love to hear about, you know, how people can find you, um, is if you could think back to that, like, is there anything that you knowing all the things, you know, now, like would like to wish you could say or compel someone to do, um, with that younger version of yourself? Um, gosh, that's a really touching question. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I think I would just try to be like, hey, it gets better. (laughs) I don't know. Just like stick it out. It's okay. What you're feeling and how you are, are you, even if it's not something that you see in your day to day. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Tell the listeners how they can find you. Okay. Well, I guess the best way to find me is uh, my Instagram, which is 
uh, Yarrow underscore medicine. And I sometimes, you know, teach workshops in New York and I'm planning to, I'm kind of like cooking up a, a tour um, of the West Coast, hopefully in the fall, where I would like to tour with the Gua Sha workshop. Mm. So yeah, definitely like stay tuned for that. Um, Can you just tell people what Gua Sha is? Okay, well, Gua Sha is a technique that I use. It's really super accessible and hands-on. Um, and it resets the fascia. It breaks up lactic acid. So it's really great for like, I use it mostly for upper back and neck tension. Um, but it's also really good if you're, it moves length. So if you're coming down with a cold, you can kind of like nip it in the bud by using Gua Sha. And it's just like, it's, it's one of the, I think it's, it's something that I use on almost everyone. And it's so like, once you kind of learn the nuts and bolts of it, it's, it's super easy. You don't need a lot of like special equipment to mm -hmm. do it. So I like to teach that because I, I really like, not only do I want my services to be accessible, but I want people to be able to, you know, take that into their own hands and even their own healing practices. Um, mm -hmm. so yeah, that's something that I like try to do education around. Cool. I love that. Yeah. Well, great. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story, yeah, or you your so story with me and their listeners. Yeah. Thank you so much for asking me to be, be on. I've really enjoyed these questions and just kind of like the rabbit holes that we got to go down. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, thank you, Frankie. Yeah, thank you. Okay. <laughs>